Welcome to Rise with Hope, Hope Sheds Light's weekly podcast. Join us as we tackle the real issues, share actual stories, offer a little strength, and provide a whole lot of hope to families and our loved ones impacted by addiction. I'm sitting here with a very good friend of mine, Dory Rachel. She's a woman in long-term recovery, and she's also professional in the field for 20-something years. Hey, Dory, how are you? Hey, Pam, great to be here. Thanks for asking me to come out. Yeah, I'm so glad you're here joining us. Um, I think this is our fifth segment, so very appropriate because you are top on my list of my go-to people in the field when I need information to check myself, you know, assistance and referral. It's always you I turn to. Um, And I know that you are well-known around the state. You've worked in New Jersey for a very long time across the whole continuum of care in this field. So every most people know Dory Rachel. I get doors open. I want you to know. <laughs> doors do get open when I tell them that I'm your friend. So, uh, But what I don't know is if people know much about your story. Mm-hmm. As I mentioned, you are a woman in long-term recovery. Mm-hmm. You have a celebration coming up soon? I do. On August 15th, I'll have 35 years of long-term sustained recovery. That is amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> I'm wondering if you want to... Share with us, you know, from Hope Sheds Light's lens, we like Mm -hmm. to talk about the impact that addiction has on the family. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we're family members too, the individuals that Mm -hmm. are impacted. So if you're comfortable, just share your story with us, the beginnings and, Mm -hmm. you know, any any impact that it had on you as the head of your family, you Mm -hmm. know, raising your daughter throughout your early years in recovery. Thanks. Um, You know, coming up on my anniversary, it always brings me back to when uh, things started to um, happen for me to get better, but the road wasn't easy and it didn't happen overnight. And so I reflect back on how those days were. Mm-hmm. Um, and I came from a family that had addiction in it. So both of my grandfathers are um, alcoholics. My uh, Irish Catholic grandfather was sober, got sober in 1949. He knew Bill Wilson and he started uh, meetings in Union County. Amazing. Um, Yeah. And um, my other grandfather died of cirrhosis of the liver at the age of 95 with a great heart. And uh, it's amazing, like both disparity between those two stories, (laughs) right? Yeah. So you saw both. I saw both and both wives were very codependent in Mm -hmm. their own ways. So that was in my history, and I didn't know because my mother sheltered me from my father's father, who was an active alcoholic. She didn't want me to know him well because he was active. Mm-hmm. And she went through hell with her father, who was recovered by the time I was born. Oh, okay. So I knew my other grandfather as a sober man. Mm-hmm. So I didn't realize that I might get alcoholism right so they sheltered you so much they kept that little secret from you too (laughs) well i think too for women it's it was probably different back then yeah you you know know, women were the codependents guys were the alcoholics no woman you know yeah Mm -hmm. so a drunk in my mind was the guy under the bridge with the paper bag Mm -hmm. that was a drunk right so there's no way i could have been a drunk Right. No way. Right. Um, but I was. And, and we were just uh, neurotic, right? <laughs> <laughs> we were a little bit more crazy. <laughs> so the the path for me was 
quick and long. Um, my first drink got me drunk, very, very, very drunk. I went into a blackout. I didn't know what that was. I got really sick the next day. So I vowed not to drink for another three years or so. In between the ages of 18 and 21, I went to drinking straight scotch 24 hours a day. Mm. And um, I thought there might be something wrong. So I went to see an alcoholic counselor. <laughs> And I did a lot of geographic cures. So I went from New Jersey to Staten Island. I was in living in Staten Island with a guy that was mistaken for John Belushi. He was a law student oh, wow. and he looked like and acted like John Belushi. So we had like I never this... knew. I've known you almost 30 years. I didn't know you even knew no, about I Staten know. Island. You I... don't talk like that. No, but I loved it. And I assimilated, let me tell you. <laughs> So I'm drinking scotch and I would fall, I would work downtown, come home on the ferry, take the bus, fall asleep in my apartment from six to 10 o'clock at night, take another bus down to Stapleton where my boyfriend was working and bartending as a judge. He would get a judge's outfit and he would hold court in the bar and I'd be up with him until two or three in the morning, come home, crash and go to work um, downtown. Wow. That was my day. And I thought, there's not, this isn't normal. Right. So I drove right. up to Dover, New Jersey <laughs> and looked for a counselor. You just picked Dover? You went to randomly? Dover. Like nobody would about know me. when I started to meet you. Yes. Right? Oh, right. So we would go multiple towns over. Yeah. So nobody it wouldn't be recognized. Couldn't yeah, be yeah. found. I know that. I know that yes. story. <laughs> So this guy was great. He said, oh, it's so good you came to see me. You haven't lost anything. You have all the signs of alcoholism. You can stop it now. And the more he talked, the bigger his face got in my mind. He just looked like Charlie Brown. I'm like, I'm out of here. I'm so out of here. You mean I actually have to stop drinking? Really, <laughs> that's not that's, No, I'm not dead. <laughs> About how old were you during that 21. Time? 21. Wow, young. 21. Yeah. So I knew. He planted the seed. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, I got sicker and sicker. And I tried changing people, places, and things, and boyfriends. That was another addiction. Mm-hmm. And I I wrote into my early 30s, like, uh, living in Chester, working at a restaurant in Chester. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hit bottom there. Okay. And at the age of 31, I had an eight-month-old baby. Okay. I was married to a man I didn't love, but he drank more than me. So that was the criteria for marriage. <laughs> and, uh, not as bad as him. like, no, he's got the <laughs> problem. Not he's the problem. I'm not the problem. So, you know, what a story, right? Yeah. And um, then I just, I think I was ready to listen. Prior mm-hmm. to that, I was not Having ready children. to hear... Having children do, you know, women, Mm-mm. many of us, not all, yes. but many of us, like that's the, the turning point. Yeah. So it sounds like Lauren, if I can yes, disclose her name, sorry, uh, um, <laughs> was a turning point for you. She was. Yeah. That's she great. was. And then the people, I, I did not do the treatment route. I was, my, I called, uh, this is another part of my story. I called Chicago, AA in Chicago. Because I didn't want any AA in New Jersey to know I was around. They would trace me, find me. But I don't know what they were going to do with me. But I was I was not going to disclose close by me. So I got this man in Chicago who stayed on the phone with me for like an hour and a half. And he saved my life. Wow. And he told me to call into group in New Jersey. I did. And I got this woman who was 
vacationing with 15 other women in recovery and she said put the plug in the drug start drinking a lot of Gatorade I'll come get you on Monday that was a Friday I'll get you on Monday and take you to meetings and those 15 women Mm -hmm. surrounded me, gave me the love that I needed, right. showed me what the 12-step philosophy and whatever. So right. that was my path. I bartended for the first year of my sobriety. And um, she said, if you want to get paid, you'll get paid because that's your job. You don't have to drink your job. That's amazing. And she, one of her best friends worked as a waitress mm. and had her keep an eye on me right so I worked in the restaurant business um well I know when I was way. you know raising my kids waitressing bartending those were the Money. jobs yeah yeah they were cash mm -hmm. they were different hours all alternate mm -hmm. hours so we could you know take care of our kids during the yeah. day yeah it was um an you know that kind of option was the only option we had sometimes mm -hmm. okay so I know you from the field first yeah. now we're friends but I know you from the field and I, um, I wanted to talk to you about your professional career. Mm -hmm. And I'm noticing a theme, actually, as you're speaking. All of the rushing up to Dover, reaching out to Chicago, all of that was, you know, stigma-based, right? Mm -hmm. The fear of being found out. Mm -hmm. uh, and I remember our early days, you focused heavily on lowering the stigma, changing mm -hmm. the face of addiction long before it became mm -hmm. in vogue to do, which everyone is doing now, which is great. Mm -hmm. Way before that, mm -hmm. you were pounding the pavement, mm -hmm. starting like Friends of Recovery, I think was yes. the name of it, telling people, you're the first person I heard say, all we ever see are the people in active addiction, in mm -hmm. the media, in pictures, like every portraying, Mm -hmm. Someone with, you know, the bottle spilt over and then passed out or a needle in their arm. And we don't get to see the face of recovery. Mm -hmm. So tell me, you know, what, what drove you into it? Because you were a career professional woman. Yeah. You were in marketing in the radio industry, right? Yes, like, yes. why'd you jump, jump ship? So I loved working in radio because it was voice, voice oriented. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I entered... Uh, the Center for Prevention and Counseling up in Sussex County and put on the board there to do some work. And um, with that work, I was made an offer to join the center. That's where we met. Mm -hmm. um, and I realized that at the time, uh, women's chemistry uh, just happened to be different from men's. And we're in the closet more often with so many health or I'd say mental health issues versus mm -hmm. Um, you know, drinking and, and those kinds of things. And I just thought we need stronger voices to right. show that even if you struggle, you can get better. We're we're in early 90s now, right? Early to <clears throat> yeah. mid 90s. Yeah. yeah. I, that's when we met. And yes. And to be um, open about being mm -hmm. in recovery, you were a pioneer. And that strong voice. You that wasn't so easy because my, my sponsor um, would say to me, keep your mouth shut. You need to get your head screwed on. Mm -hmm. I don't want you doing any of this stuff until you have at least 10 years. And um, you don't hook into what we call now gold fever. Mm -hmm. she, didn't want, she said, I want you to get your priorities straight. And you can't get your priorities straight until you've done a lot of work on yourself so you don't lose yourself in that work mm -hmm. she said i won't 
I won't hear of it. And her advice was to stay away from being in the business. So that's why I got into radio. And I enjoyed that. That was a very creative thing. I was creative with my thoughts and things. So it was a great place for me to be. And um, making the transition to the center, then I started to see, okay, voices can be amassed Mm -hmm. to change things socially. And, and that's where Friends of Addiction Recovery comes in and um, Perspectives, the newspaper that yes. started to write about the changing of stigma in a way that was so profound. So what's you use the term hijacked, like mm. gold fever. What is that? Well, I like to use hijacked in addiction mm. because no one is the same once they've been hijacked by whatever drug or behavior or codependency right you're not the same your brain's rewiring your thoughts are rewiring and you lose a sense of yourself Mm -hmm. so the hijacking is that of body mind and spirit right so um it can apply to behaviors as well and in someone who is uh in recovery introduced to the idea of making enormous amounts of money or having enormous amounts of power does what you ease God out Mm -hmm. and you're living in your ego. Mm. So that's E-G-O, easing God out and you're into (laughs) your ego. And and that place of ego is a very not well place. Right. You're not thinking of others. You're not going with humility. Mm -hmm. You're not walking quietly among men. You know, you're losing your mind. Right. So I do like to cover controversial topics. Mm. You and I both have seen this field emerge and then um, evolve and the ebbs and flows. Something's come full circle. I feel a lot of your early work in the 90s is coming full circle now. Mm. But another phrase you used when we were just chatting before the interview that um, really struck me is that we're, we're, we're 50 years in, but we're not 50 years mature That's in this right. field. Tell our audience what you mean by that. The simplicity of the beginning of recovery happened with the 12-step program and the work of Bill Wilson and the writings of Bill Wilson and those guys that started. Mm -hmm. And they were very purist in their, their advocacy for abstinence. Um, And they were very successful. And it was very, you know, anonymity was to protect the individual from the stigma attached to relapse or reoccurrence or uh, use, Mm -hmm. uh, continued use. Um, And treatment came along um, in the late 50s, early 60s, and the wording changed, the philosophies changed, people with degrees but not with recovery knowledge came along and offered certain solutions and certain ideas uh, to the field, not to say it's bad or good, but it just changed and morphed. Mm -hmm. And so the... Now the industry is filled with a lot of different and new ideas added on to those original things, in addition to pharmaceuticals, which can keep someone alive, which can help. Um, But the industry of treatment started to, with insurance and also wealth, make huge amounts of money Hmm. off of insurance policies, families, people, and started to put that in the forefront versus the care of the individual. And there's that balance, you know, how do you keep a place open and have really good care and not charge a lot of money? Right. Um, so it has become a business versus hospital kind of 
ideas right, and even the maturity i would say i know we have some science now <clears throat> which is great yeah you know we know it's a brain disease and we you know the term hijacked is is appropriate mm-hmm. um but the maturity in terms of the treatment protocol mm-hmm. and it's still being looked at this at least this is what i took from that mm-hmm. it's still being treated like a acute disease Mm-hmm. And we know that it's not, it's chronic right. and um, it has recurrences and mm-hmm. people need long-term recovery services to manage a chronic disease yeah. as opposed to this short-term quick hit, make some money, mm-hmm. you know, off you know, and then send them back out with no supports because there there's no dollar bill or no reimbursement structure basically that follows the individual post that inpatient stay and it's not even about pointing fingers of blame businesses have to stay alive they do so if the reimbursement rate is hovered around that 28 day stay if you're lucky then that's where all the focus is going to be so i took your your phrase to mean that lack of maturity the lack of developing a robust sustained system of care it's very fragmented you know, it's really funny. If we rewound a conversation in time mm-hmm. with you and I, mm-hmm. you're the one talking about the need for case management <laughs> and the Band-Aid in between yes. services True. that we so lacked back mm-hmm. then. And, the, and there is that example that you asked me about in the changes for the last 50 years. We're still talking about that. We, we still have it as an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the beauty... I'm going to bring it back to Hope Sheds Light because Hope Sheds Light has this unbelievable um set up for the the groups after a speaker where the groups can interact and talk uh off of each other's conversation with different levels of experience and i've not seen that anywhere ever mm-hmm. and the health of the family you know anybody that knows an addict knows that it just it spirals out to the family the society the work everybody gets impacted right. and with the attention on the family and finding to finding sources of um solutions that are heartfelt um versus on a piece of paper mm-hmm. you know what do you do if Johnny's been using? Do you lock the door? Do you don't lock the door? Right. What has your experience been? And within the same group, you have two different answers from two different people because of two different kids, <laughs> you know, but yes. it's so healthy because we won't get better or find the solutions unless we're all sharing. And yes. this is so powerful with Hope Shed Light. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, I didn't start those groups. Mm. I'm helping cultivate them. I, mm-hmm. I didn't start them. But you're right. In that, in those groups, which I don't, I haven't seen anywhere else either, mm-hmm. uh, is this um, opportunity for cross-learning and growing. Yeah. You have a parent struggling with that decision. They're mm-hmm. getting mixed messages. Some people are saying tough love. Some people are yeah. saying... That's awful. You can't, tough love doesn't yeah. work. And then, you know, and they're struggling mm-hmm. and they hear from either another parent or even better, a, an individual, young person, particularly in recovery, who says, listen, this is what my mom did. And until she did it, it didn't help me. Or, or I've heard even better, you know, uh, someone say, it didn't matter what you did. I wasn't even thinking about you. When I'm in the throes of my active addiction, <laughs> I'm not thinking about you, mom. Like, so, you know. Isn't and, that something? Yes. And the reverse is true, too. I've had some uh, individuals sit back and say, wow, I never realized the impact 
my action had on my family. And that's when that healing starts. Yes. I wish we had more. I really wish we had more of that available Mm. to us. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're talking about in that long-term sustained like continuum of care. Yes. I don't see that. And there's no reimbursement structure for it. That's probably why I don't see it. Okay, okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna pivot for a uh-uh, minute. Uh-uh. <laughs> Watch out! No. Um, you are an incredible artist. Mm. You're so talented. Your voice is beautiful. You 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 draw. You paint. Mm-hmm. Rise with Hope started during COVID, actually as a daily online uh, Facebook sort of live connection to our audience. So cool. Yeah. We did it because I was freaking out. We did it because <laughs> we did it because I was I'm neurotic and I wanted to. I needed some self care practice, and I thought <laughs> maybe other people do too. And so we just started. A, a handful of us started daily sharing what our self care practices are. Yeah. And I realized the first three that I presented came from you. Gratitude list. I learned about <laughs> that with you. The artist way and journaling. Mm. Learned about that from you. Yeah. You know meditation. And, you know, so the guru, I'm not Mm. worthy. Uh, What what are some of your self-care practices? Have you tapped into them recently? Mm -hmm. And um, give our audience something to to latch on to if you can. So, uh, you know, we're we're very hampered, I think, um, with COVID because we're forced into living a way we've not lived before and we're forced away from our our stories with others and we're not able to be with each other so then we we have to go internally for the answers because it's you know how often do we get to go internally with our society the way it is so um and i've always taken those challenges as as something that's very important to pay attention to because once this is over we're going to go back to being crazy nuts <laughs> so for me um just being keeping it real huh yeah, Jerry? just keeping it real <laughs> so it has to do with the internal spark mm-hmm. um exploring with journaling maybe i used to always do three pages i did that for like i don't know 15 years or so three pages a day get up in the morning before everything starts write three pages and allow and see what happens from that this was such a good tool Mm -hmm. so i've shortened it up um i do that um i love to be with nature and watch what's going on with nature um getting my feet in the sand Mm -hmm. and just allowing my feet to be in there like rooting you know a grounding there is a science to that so I just pay attention it's very simple Um, and the other thing has to do with spark Mm -hmm. the spark of life or the spark of dreams um, changes over time it changes with our lifestyles and with the different things that happen to our our our, us Mm -hmm. And, and in with addiction we lose people Right. We, we lose lifestyles. We lose, we lose, we have lost stuff, grief stuff that goes on with addiction. So spark is the opposite of loss. Mm. And the spark, we're still here living, breathing. Right. We need to find the spark. What is that that will give us fuel for vital life rather right. than being a load? <laughs> that's great so I, again i love you know what how i interpret that last piece is you know life is about constant change yeah 
winning, losing, you know, it doesn't, yeah. it almost doesn't matter. Don't latch right. on to either really. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's redefining yourself yeah. through that, through that, that motion all the time. Yeah. So, um, to stay vibrant, to stay Actually. vibrant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I hate for this to end. I'm vibrating up. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, Thank you for Always. being a part of rise with hope. I um, really appreciate you being here today. My pleasure. Uh, all right. So that's uh, thank you also to our audience for joining us today. Remember, um, you can reach me. We want to make you a part of the dialogue. I would love to have some questions that I can pose to our visiting um, guests that are coming from you. This is an opportunity for us to raise the voices of the New Jersey community and beyond, honestly, especially family members, to get our, our questions out, our thoughts, our comments. Maybe you have the solution. You know, uh, we need help. If you'd like to support Hope Sheds Light, you can visit us at hopeshedslight.org and join our circle of hope. Remember, we want to hear from you. Share your stories with us. You can reach us at rise at hopeshedslight.org. Till next time. <laughs>